0: Alrighty, so it's on page 858. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear (laughs) what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord Once for all, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Through whom, all, through whom also went, he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who dissipated long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism. Now that saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him.
1: Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for... Uh, the, your great mercy in giving us your word and we pray now that your word by your spirit would uh, be reshaping our minds and our hearts and helping, helping us to be people who live very differently uh, in this world for your sake and we pray in Jesus name. Amen. I, I wonder how you react when someone does something wrong to you or they say something to you which is really hurtful. Um, they use uh, words that can be uh, quite cruel or quite wrongful, quite insulting. Uh, it would be, I think, very strange if we if we had no reaction to that sort of thing, if we were just completely neutral when people um, do the wrong thing by us or speak harshly against us. Uh, our natural reaction is um, to defend ourselves, isn't it? and to go beyond defending and to to start to push back. Uh, And that kind of situation often means that we end up in an argument with the person because the the temperature rises and the whole situation escalates and our relationship with them changes as a result. Does that sound familiar, by the way, or am I the only one who uh, uh, experiences this? I'm sure I'm not the only one. Uh, It's even worse when we can then start to think about, well, how do I get justice or how do I seek revenge on this person? And we may not go and burn their house down, but we might decide to be a bit more subtle and burn their reputation down, Uh, maybe go and speak maliciously against them, uh, slandering them, shaming them in the eyes of other people, uh, as if that's actually going to make us feel better. Better which ultimately, it doesn't. What is your natural reaction when you feel that you've been badly treated or spoken poorly uh, to or about? I say natural reaction quite deliberately because uh, as Christians, uh, although um, pushing back and retaliating can be our natural urge, I take it that that is not always going to be the way that we actually react. Because uh, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, our relationship with God transcends and transforms our relationships with other people. And we've seen that uh, in a number of ways uh, over the last couple of weeks in terms of uh, our relationship with government, our relationship in the workplace... Uh, and last week our relationships uh, in marriage. And the Bible is, is chock-a-block full of wisdom in terms of how we should treat other people, um, particularly in those circumstances where we feel hard done by. One of my favorite verses which comes to my mind at the appropriate times, helpfully sometimes, is uh, from Proverbs chapter 15 which says that a gentle answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger. That's worth knowing that, isn't it? A gentle answer um, turns away wrath. Now, um, in life, there are many types of relationships. But in today's passage, Peter kind of, Broadly speaking, he zeroes in on two types of relationships and how those relationships are are transformed by our transcendent relationship with God. Uh, First of all, Peter speaks about our relationships with each other as people of God. You might want to open up your Bibles at 1 Peter 3. So we're looking at verse 8 and following. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but when we have conflicts, uh, it's very often uh, with the people who are closest to us, the relationships which are dearest to us. And that just makes perfect sense because uh, we, we spend more time with the people who are closest to us. And when you spend more time with people that are close to you, there's more opportunity to disappoint one another to uh, get angry with each other, to rub each other up the wrong way, and so on. And it's like that in the church family. You see, in in verse 8, have a look at what Peter says there. He says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Now I love the fact that Peter starts off by saying and finally, and then he goes and writes another two and a half chapters uh, as if he's thinking to himself, I'm going sign, to sign off on this and he thinks, oh, there's a few other things I wanted to say to these uh, Christians. No, it's actually not like that because the, the word finally there has that sense of saying that the bottom line is this, uh, that the things I've been talking about, I could sum up, this is the end point. This is, this is the bottom line. This is our new character. This is the kind of people that we actually should be. Now, these qualities that he lists there in verse 8, uh, these are qualities which should flow through all of our relationships. But here, Peter is addressing how we treat one another as fellow Christians. And I say that because uh, the commandment to love is a commandment to love each other as brothers. Uh, It's that family kind of love that he's talking about here. Uh, As members of the same family, uh, we have the same Heavenly Father. It means that we are brothers and sisters. It's a generic word, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's how we are to love one another. We are to love one another as members of the same family. It's a committed kind of love that we have towards each other. And we see this uh, flowing through into the first instruction, which is to live in harmony with each other. Now, uh, to live in harmony, more literally, it means to be like-minded, which makes sense because when we are like-minded, we're not out of tune with each other, are we? We are in harmony with each other. We have the same mind. Now, of course, in our church here, we have a a whole stack of different kinds of minds, don't we? Um, Different. uh, Some people have got very logical minds. They like things to be in flowcharts. They like things to be in logical point form. uh, That kind of mind. Uh, other people have got far more creative, imaginative li- minds that sort are of more visual, spatial, and so on. And some of us are somewhere in between and combinations of the both. Um, there are some very fertile minds in our congregation, and uh, others um, we just kind of plod along and do the best with what we've got. There's all sorts of different minds in our congregation, but whatever the case there's a sense in which we are to be like-minded. And you might remember back in chapter 1, verse 13, where Peter said to prepare your minds for action. Do you remember that? And uh, more literally, that was gird up the loins of your minds, get ready for some hard work, prepare your minds for action. And we were to gird up the loins of our minds by setting our hope on the grace that is to be revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, what is it that unites us? In what sense are we like-minded? Well, we're united in the Gospel. We're united in the, the great truths that Jesus has died for our sins, that he has risen from the grave to give us new life, and that Jesus will return in glory. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we set our minds upon. Now, uh, this is really important because this is the basis of who we are. Uh, The church is not a religious club. Uh, The church is not a social club or a social organisation. We are not and Historical Preservation Society. We are not an ethnic association. And I mention these things because these are the kinds of things that church can end up becoming for some people uh, when we're not actually united in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are people who come from a variety of different backgrounds but whose lives have been changed because of the fact that we've been... uh, brought out of our sins uh, by the death of Jesus on our behalf. Our lives have been changed. So that uh, like an orchestra with a whole variety of different instruments, it is the gospel which brings us into harmony. Uh, We are like-minded, we are united in the gospel. And that affects our relationships. Because it's not just our minds that are changed, It's our hearts as well. So Peter says that we are to be sympathetic in verse 8. And to be sympathetic means that we suffer together. Uh, Pathos is suffering. Sim means together. So together we suffer like one body. Not only do we rejoice when others rejoice, but we also weep when those amongst us weep. We suffer together. He goes on to say that we are to be compassionate. And that's very similar to being sympathetic. It's got an added element of, of affection, though. Um, sometimes we can be so accustomed to hearing about other people's problems and, their, and, their, and their, their sufferings that we can become a little bit blasé about that. We can become a bit superficial, even a bit, a bit cool towards it. But the word which Peter uses here for compassion uh, literally means that you feel it in your guts. Now, the the Greeks were a bit different to us because when we want to talk about that kind of feeling, we talk about our hearts, don't we? Uh, We know that we don't feel things in our hearts. Our hearts are just an organ that pumps blood. Uh, But that's how we express ourselves, don't we? That feeling, that passion is something which we feel in our hearts. Uh, for the Greeks, it was your intestines. Um, you, you feel it in your guts. And that's, it's, it's, a very, it's a very earthy kind of uh, word that Peter uses here. We've got to really feel for one another. And you won't feel for each other if you're proud. The proud person looks down on others. The proud person actually rejoices when others are suffering. Um, it all depends on humility which is Peter's next point, that we are to be humble. Now, in the ancient Greek culture, which Peter's readers lived in, humility was not respected. Uh, We kind of, in our Western culture, we take it for granted that the humble person is the person who we admire, but that's because our culture's been changed through 2,000 years of of the Gospel. Uh, In Greek culture, humility was seen as being weakness. You were not supposed to think uh, about your own uh, inabilities. You were supposed to boast. Boasting was the proper thing to do. You would boast about your achievements. You would have monuments set up to yourself and that was seen as a good thing. But not when we know Jesus whose whole life was a life of humility. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul says that our attitude should be that the same as that of, of Christ Jesus, who, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a man. And he became obedient to death on a cross, which was shameful. And he did that for us. So friends, what Jesus by his gospel has done is he's, he's, t- he's turned the whole world upside down. Uh, he's, from pride being something which was highly valued, he's actually turned it around so that humility is something which is valued. And he turns our lives upside down as well so that uh, instead of being self-centered, we actually ought to be humbly seeking To serve one another. And that helps us to work together as loving people in God's church. To live in harmony, to be sympathetic, to love as brothers, to be compassionate and humble, this is what church family life should look like. Now, I am very grateful, as I'm sure that you are as well, that in our church, that there is a strong like-mindedness in the gospel. Would you agree with that? There is a strong like-mindedness. The DNA of our church is a gospel DNA. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm very grateful for that because uh, that has not always been the case with our church. We have not always been a church that's been united in the gospel. But through God's grace, through his word, he has transformed lives and uh, there is that r- very real sense uh, that the gospel uh, is what unites us together. So we need to keep on working at that, we, need not to, we ought not to take that for granted uh, because we can easily lose it once we lose sight of the gospel itself. We also need to make sure that uh, the gospel keeps on flowing through our relationships that we are actually genuinely committed to loving and serving one another above ourselves. And so that does mean that we need to invest in each other's lives, that we, ought, we must not see church as being uh, just a club or just a, a, a service that you attend to get some input from God's word and to sing a few songs. We actually need to be engaging with one another, investing, with, spending time with each other so that we can Uh, be committed to loving and serving one another as we should. Now that, of course, is much easier to do when people are nice to, to us. But how does that flow through our lives when people are not nice towards us? When they may even do something which is evil to us or insult us? Well, in verses 9 through to 17, Peter seems to break out of the relationships purely within the church family, and he seems to move on to addressing any relationship where someone does us wrong, either in their actions or in their words. I remember once being with an older Christian friend. Now... I was in my 20s, so he was probably in his 40s. Um, these days I'd say he was a young guy. <laughs> but he was an old guy then. Um, I was with this older Christian friend when another man who he was in conversation with started criticising him. Uh, criticising him for what he believed. And then the other man became... Uh, he moved off just to. Criticising him for his beliefs, and you know he moved on to criticising the man for who he is, and uh, started saying some unpleasant things about the man's family. Now I've got to be honest with you here. Uh, you know, you can you can criticise me, you can say some things bad about me, but once you get on to criticising my wife and kids, that's when the situation is likely to escalate. (laughs) You with me on that? And in other situations, uh, that would have escalated and it would not have ended very well, especially since my friend, this is true, I found out later he had a black belt in karate. I didn't know that at the time. I'd heard him preach on occasions and, uh, you know, his sermons were okay. I don't remember a great deal from his sermons but this was a sermon spoken almost without words. It was a sermon delivered by actions because instead of retaliating I watched him absorb every criticism and every hurtful word. He just absorbed it. But he didn't just simply not retaliate When he did respond, he spoke words of kindness to the man and he wished all of God's blessing upon him. The man didn't know what to do with that. He couldn't handle it. He didn't understand it. Now this is very powerful and very radical Christian behavior. Uh, And it comes from Jesus. Remember the Sermon on the Mount when... Jesus said, uh, You have heard it said to uh, love your neighbour and to hate your enemies, but I tell you to love your enemies and to bless those who persecute you. And Jesus himself is the epitome of that kind of behaviour, because nailed to the cross, unjustly, as a criminal, nailed to the cross, what did Jesus pray? Father forgive them for they know not what they do and interestingly some of the people there on that day who'd nailed Jesus to the cross later came to accept him as their Lord and their Saviour friends if we are followers of Jesus then in verse 9 in verse 9 this is actually what we are called to We are called to repay evil with blessing. Let me read verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. We're called to it. It's who we are. I love those ads on TV for BCF. You know, the boating is it? Boating, camping, fishing. Yeah, the the latest ones I'm not too keen on. But uh, uh, there's, you remember the one? There's this, there's this young guy. He's in this dark room on the weekend, and he's got his computer screen in front of him, and he's playing games all weekend. And they go, that's not living. This is living. As they switch over to three or four mates who are piling into their four-wheel drive with their trailer and their boat and their fishing gear and their tents, and they're going to spend and their slabs, and they're going to spend a whole weekend by the lake fishing. This is living. This is true life. You like that, Ed? Makes you want to go and join them, doesn't it? Well, Peter here, from verses 10 to 13. He paints a picture of the good life, the good life in God's eyes. And he does so by quoting from Psalm 34. Let me read verses 10 to 13 for you. For, says Peter, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now if we can sum it up here Uh, what it's saying is that if you want to truly live life then you want to live life as it was meant to be lived and guess what That means living inside the context of a relationship with God. You don't want to be the person to whom God has turned his back. You want to be the person to whom God has turned his ear, that he actually listens to your prayers because you're in a relationship with him. And when we've got that right, then we will want to live well with other people. That's the good life a good life is to be living well with God, to be living well with other people to turn away from evil to do good to seek peace and pursue peace that's living there should be a commercial on television for that that is truly living and it's hard because we all find ourselves in situations where people do the wrong thing by us and for some of us that might happen quite frequently and depends on your circumstances in life at that point when we're in a situation where someone has done us wrong or is actually speaking I- ill towards us it's at that point that we need to exercise self-control that we need to to press the pause button if you like and to step back and to think carefully about how we can do the unexpected. How can we resist the temptation to retaliate and do the exact opposite to actually bless the person? Now, that may mean that we actually respond to bad words by speaking... Good words to the person. So the person comes at at us with a lot of hostility, and we ask them the simple question Friend, what have I done that has hurt you so badly? Why are you feeling this way? To try to calm the situation down, to take the heat out of the situation, to lower the temperature. It may mean, it will always mean, praying for the person. And it may mean looking for an opportunity to do something good for them. Now that opportunity may not happen straight away. It may take time for that opportunity to arise. When I found myself in these situations, I asked myself a simple question about my response. And that is this, after I respond to this person how comfortable would I feel about inviting them to a a church event? How comfortable would I feel about talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if I respond in a worldly way, if I argue with them, if I push back, if I retaliate, and then I want to talk to them about Jesus. My words are going to sound a bit hollow, don't you think? But if we actually respond differently to that, then it may actually evoke a different response. So I ask myself that question, would I feel comfortable to invite them to church or to talk to them about Jesus? Uh, There is a a non-Christian man who behaved reasonably poorly towards our family over a period of a few years, And by the grace of God, we decided not to react angrily and to retaliate against him. Uh, Instead, we looked for an opportunity to serve him. And it was when he became unwell that we were able to take up that opportunity to do something to bless him, to, uh, to, to do good towards him. And that changed the relationship He stopped treating us poorly and started to see us as being friends. And uh, actually, praise God, he actually has come to a church event. He received our invitation gladly to come along to a church event one time. I saw a sign outside a church which said, love your enemies. It'll really mess with their heads. Now, we don't really want to mess with people's heads, but we do want to change people's hearts. How can we do that? You know, people say to me, well, how can we grow the church? You know, is there some program? Is there some strategy? Or is there some special technique? Well, how about this for being radical? How about if we actually... In our hearts, as in verse 15, set apart Christ as Lord. How about we do that? How about we set apart Christ as our Lord? Uh, By being like-minded in the gospel, by loving each other, by being sympathetic and compassionate and humble towards one another so that people meet us as... Christian people and they say hey there's something different about these people that's interesting or how about if when we're treated wrongly by that kid at school or that friend at work or that neighbor or the person in the club that we're part of or that family member how about when we're treated wrongly instead of retaliating do the unthinkable and, and actually bless that person in some way. You reckon people would take notice? I reckon so. Uh, in fact, in verse 15, uh, Peter suggests that people will be so surprised that they'll actually ask us what it's all about, to explain the hope which makes us so different. Now, that, that can be a bit frightening, can't it? Because if you have a look at verse 15, he says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Sometimes I'm not sure whether I'm more scared of the person who might persecute me or more scared to actually have to explain you know, the Christian faith. Well, Peter gives us two pointers here. He helps us in two ways. First of all, if someone were to say you, to you something like this, let's imagine a scenario. Someone might say to you, uh, look, I, I recognise that I treated you pretty poorly the other week, you know, when I <clears throat> came and gave you a mouthful. Uh, and um, uh, and I, I just noticed that the other day you took my garbage in for me because you knew I was unwell. Um, I'm just curious to know what, why you would do that uh, given I treated you so badly. Well, in verse 18, Peter explains the reason why, why we should be willing to suffer for doing good but it's also the same reason why we should repay evil with blessing. Let me read verse 18. In verse 18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now there's a sense in which that's our story, isn't it? Uh, that, that we were no better than that. That, that we were unrighteous. That we turned our backs on God. That we were God's enemies that we were deserving of judgment and yet what did God do for us? He did the unthinkable, didn't he? He could have given us judgment but instead he gave us his son who died for our sins to bring us to God so that we may truly live forever. That's our story. And we can tell people about that. Finally, though, the second thing Peter says in verse 15 is that when we do share the gospel, don't Bible bash. Uh, Don't be arrogant. Don't be argumentative. Don't try to win the argument. Uh, We don't like it when people are uh, arrogant towards us, do we? Peter says instead... When you share the gospel, do so with two things gentleness and respect for the other person. We like it when people treat us with gentleness and respect, even when we disagree with them. We are to share the gospel with gentleness and respect. Because of this, the way that we share the gospel should actually embody the gospel. The way that we talk to people about God's grace and mercy and kindness should be evidenced by the way that we actually speak to them when we're sharing that good news. So let's be like that, shall we? And let's, perhaps even during this week, uh, think about those who treat you poorly, or speak to you poorly, and give thoughtful and prayerful consideration how you might actually bless that person and move towards them in relationship rather than move, move them further apart from you. Let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we, we look forward to the full revelation of when he returns. Father, that's our hope. And we pray that that hope would continue to be the basis of our like-mindedness as a church. Help us, Father God, to uh, display that in our relationships with one another. And Father, we pray in particular when we're confronted with those who oppose us or oppose your gospel, that uh, we would be like Christ to them, not retaliating, but acting in love, in grace, and in kindness. And we pray, Father, that through that, that your name would be honoured and glorified through us and that indeed some would be drawn to the Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen.